Today on One Song, we're going to be telling you a story. It's a story about rhythms and remixes. It's about interpolations and sampling. In other words, it's about musical reuse and borrowing. Mm. It's also a story about a song that became huge. I'm talking instantly recognizable. It's been in movies, commercials, it's been in video games. And it's one of the most sampled reggae songs ever. But one of the last people to find out about its success was the singer herself. Yeah, it's a story about royalties and who gets paid and who has the power. Yeah, It's the story of Sister Nancy. And the song is Bomb Bomb. Thanks to the U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for the sustainable makeover of our podcast studio and for sparking discussions on greener Hollywood production. Just like notes in a song, sustainable living is just a series of small, eco-friendly choices that contribute to the melody. Check out the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how they pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter, Luxury, a.k.a. the guy who talks about interpolation on TikTok. And the guy who might write an entire book on this subject. Not just might, is, am, is, and doing. And doing. That's mm-hmm. right. Like Yoda said, there is no try. <laughs> just do. <laughs> and this is one song. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, Luxury, let's start yeah. here. When did you first hear Bomb Bomb, and what does it mean to yeah. you? So there's a funny story associated with my first hearing basically all things Jamaican, Mm -hmm. reggae, and dub. Because in college, I had three roommates, and they all used my sound system, right? Okay, they had my, like, sound system is generous. It's one of those all-in-one $120 machines, right? Oh, yeah. Cassette player, CD, not I, even CD player, record player, Circuit City. radio, you know exactly yes. what I'm talking about. So when <laughs> Iowa I, was a very popular brand. I might have been in Iowa, actually. <laughs> A-I-W-A. Whatever happened to Iowa? Shout oh, out to man. Iowa. Okay, we're already in the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> no, but shout out to Iowa. Those are some good sound systems. Go I had a cassette. So in my cassette player, I walk in one day, and there's a cassette, a foreign cassette, meaning not my own possession. Like, mm. who's been listening in my machine, right? <laughs> kind of thing. But I press play, and it was... I didn't know at the time. I later found out. This was my introduction to Lee Scratch Perry's Blackboard Jungle album from circa 1973. Okay. One thing we'll be talking about today is everything is a lot of circa going on because okay. not a lot of credits are being written down in Jamaica. But this is my exposure to this sound. So this tape is in my machine. I'm hearing this music. I have never heard it before. There's no writing on it. And nobody is claiming ownership in the house because they don't want to be the one who is listening on my machine against my will without my permission. Yeah. So for many years in the pre-Shazam era, I'm walking uh-huh. around with this tape, which is now mine, and listening to it obsessively. And it's got Lee Scratch Perry. It's got Bomb Bomb on it. It's got all these incredible Jamaican iconic songs from this peak era of 
what I would call kind of roots reggae into the early dancehall era. And it's blowing my mind. And it's, these are some of my favorite sounds, but I don't know what they are. This is this tape has on it a bunch of Lee Scratch Perry. It's got Bomb Bomb. So it's basically this dub era, which begins around 73. Some of the first dub albums. There's yeah, yeah, dub yeah. music prior to that. But recorded and in album form, it's basically in the 70s and kind of ends around 82 when Bomb Bomb comes out. Sure. And this music ends up forming a big part of my like, you know, sonic DNA. It yeah. sort of, you know, chemically becomes embedded in my body. <laughs> and long story short, when I start making music, when I start making edits and remixes, my, my luxury edit series, uh, which is me taking the stems of famous songs and like dubbing them out for dance floor play, yep. that's what I'm doing. I am doing, without realizing it, I'm doing what I heard on this tape. Sure. I'm extending sounds. I'm putting them in a big delay and echo and reverb and sort of letting the sound reverberate because this has become a part of what I adore musically. Yeah. yeah. So that's big, interesting. Tape. I, I got to ask right off the bat, have you ever been to Jamaica? I've never been to not Jamaica. Been yet. No. Okay. Have you been? I've I have not been in any substantial way. Like I'd love to say I've been to <laughs> Kingston or something like that. I've been on vacation. Yeah, you know, I've done the resort thing. What's interesting to me is um I I, I you discovered it in college, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I discovered college. it in college. Okay. I will say that look, my father had 3,000 jazz records. For that reason alone, it was hard for me to get into jazz. You know, yeah, like, yeah. that was my dad's music. And so funny. similarly, my brother who is 20 years older than me uh his music was was reggae you know and specifically roots reggae huge bob marley fan um jimmy cliff i remember the first uh piece of vinyl anyone ever gifted me that i didn't like ask my parents for or buy with my own money yeah uh was past the duchy by by musical youth musical youth yeah and i remember loving the sound of it, but I couldn't get into reggae because that was yeah. my brother's thing. Right. Until I got to college. And when I got to college, uh, I went to school in Boston. Being at an East Coast school, there were so many children of immigrants at, at, at Harvard. And, you know, because also because we're on the East Coast, all of our parties are kind of mimicking the, the gro- sort of the grown up over 21 parties uh, on the East Coast at that time. And that's almost exclusively hip-hop and dance hall okay and so when i would you know go into these places that sometimes were 18 and over i would go in i would listen to what they were playing and i'm pretty sure that's the first time that i heard bomb bomb was i i heard bomb bomb and i heard don pin's no 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 and there was like this whole dance hall set of music that you could spin you know and this is like the mid 90s that it was like oh this is this we, we didn't we didn't do roots reggae what's funny yeah, is i no, feel like I roots it. reggae like other like every kid at Harvard had the the stereotypical Bob Marley exactly. Legends poster. And it's so annoying. And, and that C D Yeah. <laughs> and so in some ways the like the greatest hits of Bob Marley basically, oh, dude, in other words. I'm the t- starter set. I feel like, you know, the harder they come, all that stuff got sort of that was for I'll be blunt. That was for like the white kids who were listening to music from twenty years ago. Yeah. We were listening to the music of now and right. I had no idea that Bomb Bomb was actually from the early 80s because it was getting spun like right. it was a brand new song in the clubs. That's definitely the first right. time I heard it. But we're going to get into why that is, you know, the reuse of, of these songs and the rhythms behind them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was years later that I discovered the, the the Toots original, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Um, let's set the stage. I think that Bomb Bomb is perhaps one of those songs that a lot of people know, but maybe they don't know yeah. much about it. 
Bomb Bomb comes out in 1982. Uh, how do we get to Sister Nancy and Bomb Bomb? Okay, so the story of Jamaica and music in a very tiny nutshell. Yes. So in 19- knowing that this could be its own episode, and boy, would I? Yeah, I mean, and my, we will probably do that. My Jamaica, soon enough. Jamaican music obsession. I, I've had to whittle down to like a you know, less than yeah, a paragraph yeah. here. But basically, in 1962, Jamaica is independent of England, and the beginning of the Renaissance, the creative Renaissance of Jamaican music, begins with ska which then leads to Rocksteady, which is 1966. Yeah. And then in 68, we get the beginning of what's called Roots Reggae, we were just referring to, yes. which is the Bob Marley and the Jimmy Cliff we've all heard of. But there's also... When, this, when you're DJing yeah. a party and someone over 50 comes up to you like, oh, can you play some reggae? Yeah. That's usually the reggae they're talking about. They're usually talking That's about usually right, the, one yeah. love or something like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, right? Yeah. Jamming. Could, I, could you be loved? That's right. what they want to hear. Right. But which go is, ahead. Which is... A very Fantastic different music, right? But very different from what's actually happening on the Let's island. Talk. That's an Americanized version. Yes, that's its own story. We'll do a Bob Marley. I've been, tra- I've been traumatized by people <laughs> making requests for. Sometimes they say ask for reggae, which I just can't even. I get have into. to say, I think I have too. I think I had a similar experience where the whole like Bob Marley <laughs> poster on the wall thing, like, made me a little bit less like interested in all of reggae, which is unfair because it it's really is just it's at the. Not fair. It's a very specific kind of reggae that Bob Marley was doing. <laughs> but okay, so Roots Reggae comes in. Roots Reggae comes in, and I just want to quickly talk about sound system culture we talked about on the Massive Attack episode. Yeah. So we did a longer deep dive into that. But why that's important is because it is a live operation. Music is happening in a live setting, and we have the beginnings of what ends up becoming hip-hop, what ends up becoming, again, the Massive Attack, the whole like sound system culture thing there. But we've got a couple of important people, Duke Reed and Cox and Da. These are the kings of the sound system in the 50s and 60s. And at a certain point, these are records that are coming in from America and then they start being made in Jamaica. And the ones that are the most popular get played over and over again. And they start to get re-recorded over and over again in this process known as versioning. One thing I want to explain because it's important to this story is the origin of dubs and dub music. In a nutshell, there's an possibly apocryphal story, but I've heard it and read it across many books where there's a guy called Ruddy Rudwood who's doing a dub, uh, meaning he's running a copy for a DJ to play as an exclusive at the next giant party, which is a sound system sometimes called at the dance hall. This is in Jamaica, giant open air party. Everyone's there. This is the heart of music in Jamaica. It's not bands, it's DJs and sound systems. So he's running a special version and by mistake mutes the vocal. And According to the story, Bunny Lee or possibly Ruddy Redwood is like, that's amazing. Do that again. Actually, just keep it that way. And then when they go to the club that night and they play the instrumental of a popular song that people are used to with vocals, the crowd goes bananas. They're like, that's something I've heard before, but this is slightly different. And that tiny little insight. <laughs> the usual combination for a hit. Oh, this, this sounds vaguely familiar, but it's a little different. Right. And that <laughs> tiny little distinction we now know to be the core of so much about remixing and musical reuse across all the genres, but it begins here in Jamaica by this accident in the late 60s. And we have this new thing called versioning, where when you buy a song, you start to get used to the flip side of it, not being a second song, but being just an instrumental or a version, sometimes a dub, which is when they started getting creative with how they would bring in the vocal and take it out again. That's right, adding some effects. King Tubby comes into the mix. King Tubby. Again, an entire episode can be devoted to this. I'm just laying the groundwork for the idea of there being multiple versions 
and instrumental multiple versions. And a lot of creativity begins to come with, wow, once you take the vocal off, you can do an awful lot with this music. <laughs> so this is an insight that comes from Jamaica in the late 60s. We take for granted for all things sampling and remixing in the culture to this day. But right. it really comes out of this wonderful, happy accident. Dude, this is so fascinating. So you're basically saying that <laughs> by a happy accident, this guy basically handed a plate over that had a version with vocals and then a version that's the complete instrumental. Right with no vocals or maybe like some vocal remnants, but basically no vocals. And then people just went to town. People went to town. Yeah. They, they loved the audience, the crowd, the dancers yeah. asked for them. To, they wanted to hear it again. So they did a rewind, rewind. Yeah. And they heard it, you know, a bunch, it was played, it was the hit tune of the night. I love that. Yeah. And then you can play it right into the original. Go ahead. And this is just, and just so I can be clear, timeline wise, this is the late seventies we're talking about. Here. We're talking late sixties into early seventies. Oh, okay. Yeah, late sixties, yeah, yeah. early seventies. Awesome. Can you play us something that is an example of an early version? So there's possibly one of the most famous dub songs. It's called King Tubby Meets Rockers Uptown. I'm going to play for that, that for you in a moment. But first, I'm going to play the song where it came from, because it's actually a dub version of just a song. So the original song is called Baby I Love You So. It's by Jacob Miller. And here it is. Baby, So do you recognize this song, by the way? I do. I, I used to spin this at the end of my set when I used to DJ at Soho House in New York. Nice choice. This was, this was, <laughs> this was a good song to play around 2.15 as they're cleaning up the cups. Absolutely. Great, yeah. <laughs> so now let's hear what happened when that instrumental track is transformed with the addition of some vocal fragments that are kept. And King Tubby, who's one of the master earliest remixers of all time, uh, is responsible for making choices here of what to bring in, what to take out. And you'll hear how that same instrumental track with a little vocal was transformed into this. This is King Tubby Meets Rockers Uptown. So we just have these little pieces of Jacob Miller's voice from the original song, Baby I Love You So, floating in there. Mm -hmm. The bass is cranked up. Of course. And the drums have this delay added to them so that that beat becomes like, <laughs> like 30 second <laughs> yeah, notes, yeah. I think, in there. With the, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really beautiful. And there's a reduction with, in, with fragmentation of the vocal, a reduction of instrumentation, an enhancement of the bass line, the vocal fragment. This is a completely new science, if you will. And it's done, it's created by the engineer, by King Tubby. He's, re he's transformed this material, this recorded material, and created in the process an entirely new art form. Which I, I think any good engineer from George Martin to <laughs> Bob Power, they'd be like, we're always transforming that crap that they hand us. But no, seriously, like I think that, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't ever get past a person who knows what they're doing in the studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just one more version of that song, because it exists. August, Augustus Pablo, who's the producer who... Augustus Pablo? Augustus Pablo, what a great yeah. name. Augustus Pablo. If you don't think you've heard Augustus Pablo, you have. Because almost any time in the 70s, at least, you hear a melodica, mm -hmm. which you'll hear in a second. That's Augustus Pablo. He made that instrument famous in reggae. So he did a version of that same track using the same rhythm track the instrumental but he replaced the vocal with his melodica this is cassava piece
So obviously, if you're familiar with any of the songs and then you hear any of the other versions of it, it similar to the audience at that first uh, you know, sound system event where they heard the instrumental of a famous song. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been on the beach by the Paragons. I'll have to look that up. Um, but you have this sense of familiarity, but a sense of something new and it's exciting. It's this, it extends the connection you have with the material, with the music. Love it. I just want to give a, a round of applause. My man, he has walked us from Jamaican independence <laughs> through the emergence of Roots Reggae, and 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 he mentioned Ska and Rocksteady along the way. Many and books have been written. That if, you want to, if, you want to, if you want to elongate that, <laughs> what just took a few minutes, yes. it can be done. <laughs> no, it, it can absolutely be done. But now I want to talk about the end of the decade. I want to talk about the end of the 70s, because there is this new... Uh, culture that's starting to to rear its head in the underground clubs uh, and the underground these underground dance hall parties uh, where the music is changing and I think that you know you can't ignore the passing of the political torch in Jamaica this time Michael Manley's party uh, loses to the Labor Party there's a lot of violence. Uh, not just street and, and, and crime violence, but there's like political violence taking yeah. place. A lot of the hope that you hear in Roots Reggae, a lot of the uh, Rastafari themes and a lot of the, uh, just the politics and the black liberation, yeah. you start to hear another thing come in. And that is talk of like street life and crime. Yes. And, you know, I saw somewhere where someone was like, you know, these, you know, in the in the late 70s, Dance hall comes in and it's talking. They called it the crass cousin of of roots reggae because it's like it's it's dealing with these different themes and suddenly there are new people who are rising to fame. We could not talk about bomb bomb without talking about yellow man and yellow man. I'm gonna call him yellow man because I again I don't want to do a bad <laughs> patois. But if I go back and forth, please forgive me. But you know, I'd like to hear a little bad patois. <laughs> I mean, why not try? Well, then listen to the song by Daz Races because they did a great song about <laughs> fake patois. But <laughs> right near the beach, right near my reach is the fire for the streets. Yeah, and now me can't read. But, you know, Yellow Man, by 1979, he's one of the most popular artists in Jamaica, and he has a different way of approaching, you know, his music. I, I, I won't go the way of saying, like, oh, Dancehall's obsessed with the six Gs, um, and you can look online and see, like, you know, the theory that it's guns, gals, gays, ghetto, ganja god. Uh, we're not going there because I think that there are a lot of early dancehall songs that don't deal at all with guns. And, and I've, I've actually heard sister Nancy say she considers bomb bomb to be a very positive song. Um, but there is a new culture coming in. There's a new culture coming in in the late seventies. So by 1980, you've had political change. You have a young generation coming in, doing a different take on the music of the previous decade. Uh, yellow man releases his first album, in 1982, uh, Mr. Yellowman, uh, and that you know that artist and and his music is going to have an influence on one of the first female uh, you'd have to call her female DJ yeah uh, in this genre right Miss <laughs> Sister Nancy so we should make we should make this clarification because in Jamaica oh yes the Let's DJ be very clear. the yes. DJ is called the selector the DJ is basically the MC right. in DJ in in Jamaican <laughs> culture and by the way growing up I was always confused by that because right. you would see things like DJ Cool Herc but you're like but Cool Herc used to He's do a lot MC. of rapping and, what's going on and here? Coke Larock you know sometimes would be listed as DJ but like 
you know, Coke Rock was like, no, I'm an MC, I'm a master of ceremony. Right. So we want to get our terms What's straight. When we say says, DJ in the Jamaican sense, we're yeah. actually talking about someone who does a lot of chatting and toasting. D- just to be, yeah, literally the selector has the records and selects the records. We yeah. call them the DJ, but they yes. call them the selector. But they have, <laughs> they use the word DJ to mean the person up front with the mic toasting. The disc jockey, the it disc kind of jockey. makes a lot of right, sense. Right, Because if you think about a radio disc jockey, right. it comes from that's radio the person who's talking over that's music. That's right, it comes from radio disc The jockey. Jamaicans got it right. That's, that's They awesome. got it right. <laughs> but in the song, Sister Nancy says, MC is my ambition. So there's a lot to be, so there's, it's okay so there's if you're a confused. lot of fluid okay in between back and forth. Yeah. You know, by the way, shout out to shout out to um the kids in the bronx who took that jamaican culture put it with james bound records and and helped us come up with hip-hop we'll probably have some time to talk about yeah, that oh too. absolutely and using fragments of samples and breakbeats as opposed to the entire record which is what's going on here that's absolutely. why rhythms that's what you call the instrumental or the dub these are all rhythms the reuse of the rhythm is the entire instrumental track that's a big part of why this is so different from the sampling and interpolation conversations we absolutely like to have. yeah so let's get into the story of sister nancy and bomb bomb luxury where do you want to start? So I want to quickly give a shout out, by the way, this really wonderful book by Larissa Kingston Mann. It's called Rude Citizenship, Jamaican Popular Music, Copyright and the Reverberations of Colonial Power. I read this book, came out last year. I read this book. That was it, all the title. That's the entire title. That sounds like one of those Andre Flute <laughs> song titles, but go ahead. <laughs> it is definitely an academic work, but it also, from my perspective as someone who loves reggae and dub yeah. and Jamaican music, yeah. she talks about the intersectionality of making music politics and money and power and copyright, because I won't get into it now. This is its own thing. We are going to talk a little bit, actually, later in this episode. We're going to talk about copyright. We're going to talk about copyright. Yeah. We're going to talk about ownership. And we're going to talk about when you're a musician, how, right little, now, how little power you have. Yes. But part of what I want to talk about comes from this book is it's um, from the very, the epigraph, the beginning of the book. Yeah. She tells this great anecdote, which I think tells the story of rhythms in Jamaican music and creativity in a perfectly succinct way. So I'm just going to paraphrase from this introduction. In 2009 in Kingston, there's this sort of American Idol type competition. And the three contestants go up there, they do their thing. And one of the judges, whose name is uh, a Jamaican producer called Scata, goes, is referring to something he just heard. And he's saying, I won't do the patois. Do you want to do the patois on this one? <laughs> I'm not going to do the patois. <laughs> so he says, that rhythm, it lame. I wish he had used a more original rhythm, not one that they make themselves. Mm. The one more established rhythm that had been tested, not this amateurish thing, one that has passed the test of being played out. This is the opposite. He uses the word original the opposite way that we would use the word original here. <laughs> he doesn't use it to mean he wants to hear something he's never heard before. Mm-hmm. He uses it to mean something he has heard before. Uh-huh. Because framing in Jamaica for what is creative and what is original is something that has been tried and true and the, and the, and the crowd loves it already. And you're putting a flip on it. They're not taking the downpressor's definition of anything. What's the downpressor's definition? <laughs> I don't know this. That's, you know, because the Rastafarians believe that you shouldn't call them oppressors because it sounds so much like oppress. Oh, wow. So okay. they're trying to trick you. So you call them downpressors. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's, that's what exactly- happens when your brother's a Rastafarian. <laughs> <laughs> you learn these things. Shout out to Anthony Riddle. I know that he listens to the show and I hope to get no facts wrong because I will never hear the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to lay the groundwork for this entire concept of reuse of, of rhythms and reuse of sound and reuse of ideas because in Jamaica, this is there's a premium that's placed on it. This is this is a good thing, and I think to our American ears. And by the way, to our what year was this contest? This is 2009. This is fairly recently. This is the modern age. 
in the modern era. They must have a lot of talent contests out in Jamaica because <laughs> I know for a fact that Yellow Mound rose to prominence when he came in second place uh, uh, at a thing called the, the Tasty Talent Contest. He came in second place to Nadine Sutherland, who, if you know a lot of dance hall, she's like been on a lot of songs. Okay. But he came in second place. So I'm just saying, like, yeah, that's, that's a, a place where like talent contests really. Yeah. I, I Don't ask me who won American Idol three years ago. I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know who's judging it. Please continue. Yeah, no, that's all good, man. So Yellow Man is like the Kelly Clarkson of Jamaica's yeah, what I hear you saying. Yeah. Okay. That's well, what he I came in saying. second. Yes. Kelly came in second, right? She <laughs> came in second so. to Wait, a mother is, dude. Is that Justin and Kelly? I think so. Okay, I vaguely, I've so. so been this. If you're listening, <laughs> you are our Kelly Clarkson and we appreciate you. You need your own talk show. Okay, we got a little sidetrack, but seriously, who is Sister Nancy? So Sister Nancy is born in Kingston in 1962. Her father's a pastor, their house is a church, and there are 15 siblings. <laughs> There's 15. lots of 15 siblings. They were the Wayanses. So they were the Wayanses of Jamaica. And importantly, her older brother is Brigadier Jerry, who's already an established mm. artist in his own right. Okay. So Sister Nancy, when she's like in her teens, is being like not dragged, but like gets to go with her older brother to the sound systems, to, to, to the dance halls, yeah. and watch him in action. And she's an off him. And they have a really close connection. And he really brings her into this world because it is not a very female-friendly world. No, that's the whole point. Yeah. I mean, when, one, of the, one of the things that makes Sister Nancy an important figure in this music is that there are not a lot of women. No. And, and, and in a way, that's what the song Bomb Bomb is about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in reggae, in Jamaica, you do have in the history, I mean... Millie Small's My Boy Lollipop ba -bum -bum -bum. That's literally from 1964 One of the biggest reggae, you know, ska songs of all time It puts Island Records on the map But between her and then a handful of, of And then a handful of rocksteady artists And then you've got the I-3s behind Bob Marley Women in reggae are very backgrounded Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a function of there being this strain of conservatism In Jamaican culture And she, she kind of talks about it on Bomb Bomb the fact that like she's being, you know, steered one way, and yet she has these ambitions to be an MC. I, I want to yeah. take a second and just point out that this is a remake, essentially, of a Toots and Maytal track. So this is great. Tell me about how Sister Nancy recorded her version of Bomb Bomb. Okay, let's talk about Bomb Bomb. So it's 1981. She's got nine songs written for a full mm -hmm. album, and Winston Riley, the producer, says, "We need one more. Can you give me one more?" So she goes into the studio and and Yellow Man is in another studio where he's doing his own version of this song. This is Toots and the Maytals Bomb Bomb from 1966. So that what a bomb bomb <laughs> is being in, vocalized in the background throughout the entire track. So this idea, the title of the track is Bomb Bomb, and what's being sung is what a bomb bomb. So we talked a little bit about, you know, this musical reuse culture. Uh-huh. When Yellow Man and Fathead are in the studio working on a new track, they're thinking of this song, and they come up with this. Bomb, say what a bomb, 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 bomb. That is so cool. I yeah. have never heard the Yellow Man right? version of it. And what instantly jumps out to me is how, <laughs> you know, like, so the Toots version is clearly, like, political. Like, it's 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 talking about, you know, this man, you know, don't trouble no one. You know, I fight for what's right, not for what's wrong. You know, like, it's, it's, it's political. 
the yellow man version. You know, he also says this man, but then he's like, you know, yellow man. You know, yeah, like yeah. it's like it's it's more already. You sort of hear the um, it's not it's not bragging necessarily, but it's right. sort of like the self reflectiveness of this sort of dance hall. And, and by the way, it's the same thing's happening in hip hop right now. It's like you know, I, I I'm the best, and I <laughs> beat the rest. You know, like it's it's more reflexive. It's it's less political. And then you know, obviously in the toots and yellow man versions, they both say. This man, but in the Sister Nancy version, right. this woman revolution. This woman, you know, like blue <laughs> people's brain, right? Right, so cool. <laughs> Same right? song, but right. different it's lyrics. It's a transformation of an idea, yeah. and it becomes a new idea once it's transformed. Bomb, bomb. Do we yeah. do we know what it means? Because <laughs> I always interpreted like when I heard Toots sing. Don't bring a bomb bomb. I assumed that was like a gun. And by the Sister Nancy version, again, I've never really heard the Yellow Man version, the yeah. Sister Nancy version. What a bomb bomb. I didn't really know what it meant. You know, like yeah. by that point, I don't get the sense it means a gun. Can, do you know? I don't think. I mean, what she has said herself in interviews is uh-huh. that it means I'm attacking full speed. <laughs> uh, I'm coming for you or I'm, or I'm just coming. It's just here it's I like am. I'm bringing the ruckus. But I, I'm bringing the ruckus. Yeah. I think it's an announcement. I think here I am. Yes. Like, I am here. The I'm whole on song stage. Has a, yeah. Here I am. Yeah. 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 See I love, me, I love, hear the, me. I love the yeah. phrase nice up Jamaica, yeah. which, you know, to the uninitiated is basically a an early form of turn up you know so <laughs> yeah. um yes. mc is my ambition like here i am i yes. am i'm making my dream come true because i'm on stage i'm a woman in jamaica it's 1981 when she's writing it 1982 yes. it comes out and here i am here I'm i am deal with it and not a man i'm a lady and I mean, not a man it's so simple yeah. and yet so awesome bomb bomb <laughs> bomb bomb you're listening to the one song conversation on sister nancy bomb bomb when we come back, you will hear this song as you've never heard it before. Sister Nancy's isolated vocals, and also the story of how she finally got paid for a song she recorded in 1982. When we return. Now, see, I said I wasn't going to do any bad patois. Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soy Bean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. 
Welcome back to One Song. So you have Sister Nancy's isolated vocals. Can we hear them? Yeah, let's listen to some Sister Nancy bomb bomb acapella. I'm a lady, I'm not a man. MC is my ambition. I come free nice of Jamaican. So bomb bomb bomb. Such a such a sweet vocal. Such you know a sweet I mean? vocal. Yeah. It's How old really... is she when she records this? She's, I think, 19 when she records it. Comes mm-hmm. out, she records it in 81, it comes out in 82. Yeah, and she was born in 62. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's pretty sweet. And, that's you know, obviously cool. the, the effect that you're hearing on there, you were just messing around with that in the room, right, <laughs> for, the, for the mid-roll announcement. And what's interesting, to when I was hearing you do it, I was rem- reminded of the fact that that is always exciting to put a vocal with a slight delay on it. It just always sounds cool. It does. And early stories. It's the reason why everybody yes. likes to sing in the shower, really, because it's, it's got like that reverb bouncing and the off echo. the walls. <laughs> but that specific bomb, bomb, bomb. And in the stories of early Jamaican toasting, and the first time, like, you, Roy, gets on the mic, and then these are the earliest, and Count Machuki in the 50s, who we were talking about. Yeah. This idea of jumping on a mic at a party with records playing mm-hmm. to hype up a crowd. And what you do is you take the mic and you just add that tiny little effect of delay. Absolutely. It sounds like outer space. It's exciting. <laughs> it is outer space. And it's still space. exciting in 2023 hearing you do it just now. Listen, it was, that's just how it works. As a DJ, there was nothing. Because, you know, when you're first starting off as a DJ, especially before we had laptops to beat match all of our songs, like you're always like cataloging in your brain. Okay, this song definitely blends with that song. This song definitely blends, blends with that song. And Bomb Bomb... And No, No, No by Don Penn. I just, that was one of the first combinations where I learned that they were literally within one BPM of each other. And as a DJ, there's really nothing easier than mixing a song that starts off like this. I mean, that's one of those, that's one of the reasons why those songs go so well together because the instrumentation is so sparse. Yeah. And there's there's so much going on there. But but let's talk a little bit about the music because right. when I heard those horns just now, it was yeah. just like, man, those horns are halfway to a hit from the very beginning. Yeah, because that rhythm, as you were pointing out, like that this is one of the more popular rhythms of all yes. time. It's called the Stalag 17 rhythm. Sometimes it's called the Stagalag rhythm. And it's been used hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of and times. And not even always the yeah. same part of it because no. I feel like, isn't there some talking at the beginning of this? So the rhythm itself is yeah. recorded as far as we understand. I've done a deep dive on this rhythm. Yes. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But as far as we understand, this is the soul syndicate performers that are playing these instruments. And here's mm. the rhythm itself. It's called Stalag 17. It's listed, and this is this is a little foreshadowing, as being by Ansel Collins, but that's not quite the whole truth. But here's Uh-oh. what it sounds like. Well, let's talk about this rhythm and let's talk yes. about where it comes from and let's talk about who made it and let's mm-hmm. talk about who made money off of it. All of this <laughs> stuff is shrouded in a great deal of mystery because just to back up for a second, how does music in Jamaica get made in the late 60s, early 70s into the 80s and probably even now? I mean, that's, that's great. What, what year does uh, Stalag 17 come out? So this song is recorded around 73 or comes out in okay. 73. And the way in Jamaica, the way it works is there is a studio. Yeah. There's Studio One you've heard of. You've heard of Channel One, maybe Harry, Harry J's. And these studios are owned by studio owners. They've got money. They've got producers who come in and they hire bands to play music. And all along this road from studio owner and producer down to musician, the power, by the time you get to the musician, there's no power. These musicians are hired to come in and they play maybe two, three, four rhythms a day. And they are the ones who are writing and making up 
for the most part, the music on the spot. The producers are not musicians. So in this case, this is relevant because Winston Riley is the producer. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who booked the studio. He's not even the studio owner. He's just the guy who had enough money to book studio time Mm -hmm. to get people to come in who are instrument players. And in this case, it's called the Soul Syndicate is the name of the band, is the name of the artist, the band who actually played the music. Mm -hmm. Bass was George Fully Fullwood. Full props to George Fully Fullwood. Full props to Ansel Collins on keys. Carlton Santa Davis on drums. These are some heavy hitters. If you go buy some records right now, some reggae records, mm-hmm. you'll see these names like wow. on an awful lot of them. Who's on the horns? And then guitar. I'm so glad you asked because <laughs> guitar is Tony Chin and Earl Chin Smith, and I do not know who are on the horns. That's I've crazy. So many line That notes, is a horn, so right? That's not my imagination. Deep, not... There are horns on this. There are horns on it, this. Those are real might, horns. It might be. It might be um, Tommy McCook, who's a very famous sax player, but okay. it might not be, and I do not know the answer. That's crazy. Documentation is That's sparse. like if we didn't know who played the keyboard on The Doors Light My Fire. Well, <laughs> like, you know, it's, like, it's such a prominent part of what makes the understand, song work. There's two reasons why credits are not being kept. Number one, it just wasn't... <laughs> so much is happening, right. so much activity. They're, they're cranking out... Classic Instrumental Hollywood movies songs. were not stored in good facilities, and then the facility oh, burned down, and they're lost to time. I totally get it. Think of that when I tell you this anecdote. There's a great uh, documentary called Dub Echoes, where they interview Bunny Lee, who's one of the mm-hmm. iconic yeah, producers. Yeah. And producer in the sense of has money, pays instrument, to, <laughs> pays musicians to come and play, yeah. but then takes credit, takes the master tapes. This guy in this documentary, you see him walk into this room in Jamaica, which is this little tiny box of a room with stacks and stacks of not well-maintained boxes with like, you know, analog tape re- revolved yeah. around yeah. on tables. There is no real organizational principle in sight here, and there's no real care and maintenance for the actual items. These are the master tapes of famous Jamaican songs, and they're just like in stacks in a room with maybe an air conditioner in it. Wow. So when you see this, you're like, this is millions and, and this by is the, maybe and by billions the way, of dollars. Place near the stack of uh, yeah. matchboxes and, yeah. gas, there's, and there's gasoline. There's someone smoking a cigar over there. Because there's no other place to put that stuff except <laughs> next to you know these priceless artistic It's like gyms. a Bugs Bunny cartoon of like like danger and fraud. Yeah, they're at the Acme factory. It's the Acme <laughs> factory. So to your point, like the, the care and maintenance of all of this stuff is not very strong. Yeah. <laughs> and this is billions of dollars worth of, of music. So anyway, to kind of bring it back to Stalag 17, this music is made on the day. Were you saying, I'm sorry, just to close that out, were yeah. you saying that Bunny Lee might know who the guy was? I'm bringing this up just to talk about when we talk about Jamaican music and who made it and who owns it and where's the master Sometimes tape. we just don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there are some great stories that I was I was able to find some stories. Oh, yes. Where, I want to hear some great stories. Well, some of the stories involve how the drummer I mentioned, Santa Davis, he's got a really great mm-hmm. long interview where I've read and I won't get that deep in the weeds other than to say there's contentiousness about who made this song amongst the players. Oh, wow. Who wrote it? Who, like who wrote it? But it's really, for me as a musician, like I was, I'm I'm in there with it. We should find out who wrote Stalag 16. <laughs> that probably will give us some answers. Stalag 8 is like some slept on heat. <laughs> <laughs> That'll give us some insight into Stalag 17. I, I haven't thought about just that. Listen, it's sequentially just speaking. To who else made songs that sound like this? <laughs> right, right. But he's talking about that moment where, in, where a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer are in a room and a keyboard player, and the money guy says, "Make me a make me a tune." 
And what happens is sometimes the keyboard player just starts playing da da, and the way the story goes is Ansel Collins, the keyboard player, seems to be saying, "Hey, I kind of got us started," mm-hmm. and then I kind of nodded at Fully Fullwood over there, and he starts playing doom doom, do 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 doom doom doom, and then we've got Santa Davis over there thinking because he. I'm ta- sorry, who's the bass player again? It's uh, George Fully Fullwood. And then we've he got. Put, he put a. I mean, other than the horns, that is the most. Oh, that's the hook right there. Yeah. That's the iconic yeah. little thing right there, right? So in, I agree with you. So Ansel Collins is, by the way, also similarly unpaid, but amongst the musicians all these years later who are unpaid, there's kind of fighting for scraps of recognition. And also Ansel Collins is the one name yeah. out of that session that I have heard of. Well, he shows up on Spotify as being the owner of Stalag 17. Why? I can't really tell you because he uploaded it first. It's hard to say. I mean, I'll he just, might have been the band leader. He amongst the band to this day there's contentiousness yeah. about like who wrote this it was kind of all of us responding to each other is the main answer yeah, yeah, the yeah. main answer is in real time when you're a musician with eye contact and listening you're like you're responding and it all kind of comes together as a unit but as soon as one guy starts to say yeah but i put my fingers on the keyboard first that's when things get a little I'm bit sure, hot. i'm sure <laughs> i don't know ansel yeah. collins he's yeah. my dad but <laughs> I'm sure he would say that uh, it was more than just he was the first person to start playing. Well, I will allow the people of, yeah, let's not get that of the internet to kind of look for your, yourselves. one song, not one lawsuit. Because there very much is a Rashomon story yeah, yeah, going yeah. on about no, how did this song sense. take place. And when you listen to all sides of it, you start to realize, man. Before you leave that studio, yeah. musician friends. Uh, figure out who gets what. If only that were the case. In this case, Winston Raleigh wasn't even there on the day. The producer who booked studio time had his brother show up and actually, you know, be the logistics guy. But Winston Raleigh is the man who for 32 years made made every dime on Bomb Bomb. He made every penny on this song. So that was the log 17. We now know where this rhythm begins. My question is, is, is Bomb Bomb... Is she just singing over their track, or does she have her own musicians in the studio? Yeah, no, she's singing literally over the rhythm. She's just wow. okay. Got headphones on, and they put they yeah. push play, yeah. or they rather they spin the record, probably. Wow. Or they've got the master tapes in this case, I should say. But whatever it is, they have to because they have to be able to mute the organ, right? So that was part of the mystery we were just talking about a, a, a moment With ago. Stalag seventeen. Yeah. There. There is a master tape. The ownership of this master tape is probably Winston Riley, because they do have the ability, as you said, to mute to the mute Ansel Collins yeah. horns. If you listen to Salak 17, you'll hear an organ that is not in the Sister Nancy version. Right. You'll also hear the bass at the very top. It's EQ'd out, and then the bass comes in. Uh-huh. Whereas in the original Stalag 17, it's just the bass line is playing the whole time. Mm-hmm. So yes, they have access to the master tape. Somebody has fiddled with it. I'm not sure if it's King Tubby. Uh-huh. It wasn't written down, hasn't made it to the public internet at least. Yes. So the quick answer is they're using the rhythm, the mm-hmm. existing recorded instrumental bed. Yes. She is taking or transforming, I should say, this Toots in the Maytal line, Bomb Bomb, which has also already been interpreted yeah. by Yellowman. <laughs> and she has taken no small amount of Yellowman's lyrical concepts and rhythmically where where Yellowman has placed them in time mm-hmm. when she comes up with her own lyrics and delivery and combines that with this rhythm to create this completely new musical. That is wonderful. Original she took she took a, she took some words from one artist, right, 
It's important to say she yes. took words from one artist, she took music from some other artist, yeah. and she put them together. And she, but and I'll add to that, and she transformed them into and, something yes, completely nothing, new. Nothing is a, the music's not right. identical. Like right. we said, they've muted some things. Yeah, and the lyrics aren't identical right. because she's made them more reflexive, reflective of her. That's right. And 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 this song is the last song on her release. That's right. And it does not blow up in Jamaica. Like this is not the story of like something that, that rockets to the be. top no, no. right off the bat. Her hit in Jamaica was one two, which is the name of the <laughs> album that it, yes. this all comes from. It wasn't until and we're gonna talk about the story yeah. of, of Sister Nancy's journey from this to. song into the next phase of her life. To. This is a song that yeah. took its own sweet time in gaining the exposure that it will eventually gain. And in time, like you're talking about 10 years later, it's really a long time before this song is the international hit that we think of it today. And over that time, it's exposed to more and more people. Right. And when another generation comes along that has grown up thinking, oh, man, that song is great, suddenly it gets sampled so many times. Talk me through when we first start to see samples of this song appearing and how, and, and let's talk about how the song has been used by other artists. Great idea. Let's do that. Let's jump into some of the great samples and interpolations of Bomb Bomb by Sister Nancy. Yeah. Some of them are, some of our personal favorites because there are literally hundreds some of, of them. Some of them I yeah. bet I know and some of them yeah. I, I bet you're going to surprise me. This one we're going to start with actually an interpolation. When it's all By the way, that's not even the only. Uh, yes, fantastic use of the sample. That's also Lauren like when Hill she says, lost ones. Yeah, yeah. when she says, uh, "El been this way since creation." Yes, you know, like that's, that's a use of that's a callback. That's I mean, a reference. Like, that's an homage. That's a love letter to Sister Nancy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like my own opinion. Don't come at me with the comments. Lost ones <laughs> is kind of my favorite Lauren Hill song oh of all time. God, wow. It's the first song in, on uh, Miseducation, but like from the second I put that record on, like I was like, you got to realize. <laughs> Wyclef had come out with the Carnival. That that album was big at the time. Like we right. were like, "Yo, Wyclef killed it!" And then she drops this nuclear bomb. Yes, Miseducation. And all of a sudden, it's just like, "Wow, the Miseducation of Lauren." Like yeah. even the cover, everything about it, iconic. Love Lost Ones. That's a great use of the sample. Shout out to anyone in America right now waiting for her to come on stage. You know, it's <laughs> some venue somewhere. Yeah, listening to the podcast while yeah. you wait for her. To <laughs> it could be uh, a while. Could be a, a while, but she'll get there eventually. <laughs> what's another song that? Uh, uses this as a sample. I really like that use because it reharmonizes it. It puts new chords behind oh, it. Oh, I mean, which are really cool. Yeah. yeah. Let's 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 do two more. Yeah. This is Jay Z with Damian Marley. Bomb. That's a ball chest in case you need your chest knocked off. Y'all be talking crazy under the IG pictures. So when you get the hell, you tell them Blanco okay. sent you. Can I just say, I love a sample yeah. where, like, you know, for the lack of a better term, you really fuck up the sample. Yeah, you know what I mean? Completely like, completely transformed. It's coming from, yeah, like, yeah. it's like someone, it's like... It's sped cut, up. It's chopped up, right? It's there's shredded. So many, it's it's like shredded. hitting you from every corner. Yeah. It's really transformed, and yet you hear the essence of the original. You yeah. know what that is. Now, that said, again... <laughs> I don't really hear too much of the bass line in that one, but I definitely hear the horns. I wonder if the horns are the signature it's, part of the song, and we don't even know who you played. You know what? Maybe I honestly would love for this episode for someone to like, yeah, who knows so it the be answer our to that. It yeah. could be our Searcher for Sugarman. I, I have the name put, of the documentary? Yeah. I have put hours into research on this. I, I'm really proud of some of the things I dug up <laughs> that were pretty in some dark recesses of the internet, some information yeah. I found, but I do not <laughs> like, know. Oh, I, you I, don't even want to know where I found that fact. <laughs> 
Let me really tell you, dark stuff. The FBI's on to me. <laughs> the horns. It could be. It could. Uh, my guess is it's Tommy McCook, who's one of my famous, my favorite well, like Jamaican favorite. horn players. He's on <laughs> so much of the classic stuff, but I don't know who. And there's two of them. There's there are harmonized horn parts. So there's two horns. Yeah, on there's this. more than one horn. Who are they? I don't know. Roland okay. Alfonso, Tommy McCook, I do not know. This is like an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Years from now, it'll be like, We're putting update. it out there. <laughs> Who is it? Tell us All in right. the comments. Or Let's do us. one more. Yeah. This is from Homecoming, the live version uh, of Hold Up yes. by Beyonce. By the way. Oh, yeah, pause it. I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to say. Yes, you know exactly this what is I'm a say. sample of Bomb Bomb, but this is also, we believe, an interpolation yeah. of maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely is. And Go. it's got the, it's got a sample of Andy Williams in the background. Beyonce is absolutely doing what Sister Nancy is doing. The same transformation, the same reuse, the yes. same homage, the same She's new thing out of old things. of her favorite songs. That's right. I think that Beyonce and, and you and me, we have the same playlist. I think that yeah, we could be soulmates. So Beyonce, if you should happen to be listening to and this. And I'm a Virgo. You know, reach out. Yes, he is a Virgo. I'm a Cancer. One of us got to get along with you, right? <laughs> Do right. Virgos get along with each other? Actually, I think Virgos point. get along with Cancer. I don't know how many Virgo friends I actually have, but I feel like I'd be friends with Beyonce. <laughs> yes, you, you need to be. And she needs to come on the show. Come on, Beyonce. Man, so many samples. So you would think that Sister Nancy would be like... Elon Musk just rolling in the dough, <laughs> buying think. social media right. companies. Um, it's funny she she is money minded because she ends up working at a bank, I believe, <laughs> well, in New Jersey. Yeah, and it's around like the mid nineties that she actually starts hearing that. So. You know, that her song has actually grown and greatly impacted. And it's not to joke about the bank thing at all, but the fact of the matter is she literally, mm-hmm. remember how I mentioned that the musicians got screwed because yeah. they got $20 on the day <laughs> per track and that was it. They they never got a piece of the publishing. You're going to tell me master. they weren't the only ones who got screwed. You know what? You're on to me. You're on to me. Sister Nancy didn't even get the 20 Damn. bucks. She what? She did not even get the 20 bucks. She didn't get paid at all. That's for recording Bomb Bomb. She was so excited to be in the did, studio did, did Brig- and to be on Jerry the not freaking look out? Like, who was her manager? There's no manager. This is a 19, 18-year-old girl in Jamaica. There's so many layers here. Yeah. One is you have to remember, as she says herself, Jamaica, you know, one in three million, right? There's it's a very <laughs> yes. small, it's a very small country. Yes. It's a very small island. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Sister Nancy's journey to getting paid, which yeah. there is a happy ending, not to ruin the surprise. But the good news is she goes from being completely screwed over to, and, and in the middle, we have this moment where she is trying to meet up with Winston Riley and trying to get paid. And part of why I'm bringing this up is because there is this aspect of friendship. There is this aspect of we all grew up together. Yeah. We all knew each other. Why are we going to paper? Why, we, why do we have to paper it? Yeah. And there's this discomfort you have when a friend screws you over. I mean, this happens in life. When someone yeah. you know screws you over, to bring that up is like, that's this could significantly totally. change things forever. And That's this, why here at One Song, we yeah. paper everything. We paper everything. We, I've actually kept the receipt of every lunch we've ever done. So I know that I'm actually up about 30 bucks. I think I owe you about 30 bucks right now. That's fair. But tell us about the story about her getting paid. Okay. Well, she doesn't get paid at all. She doesn't even know it's a hit, as you say. Yeah. At a certain point, she a little bit gives up the music industry, moves to America where her mom has already moved. In 1996, she comes to New Jersey of all places, starts a new career. She's working in the bank. She's a bank teller. And it wasn't until she starts to get inklings that her song has some reuse, has some yeah. popularity. It, it's in the movie. Is it Belly? Is that the name of the it's movie? It's in Belly. It's in the movie Which Belly. Which if you haven't seen Belly, you should stop the podcast now <laughs> and go watch Belly. It, you will never regret it. It's it's up there. AFI, I think, called it the third best movie in American history. Belly. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm making that up. Okay, <laughs> let me let me not. <laughs> Belly is a movie that uh, I enjoy, but I cannot. I cannot. I, I enjoy it for a lot of the wrong reasons too. Let's continue. It is in the movie <laughs> it Belly. It is in the movie Belly, and then it's really not though until 2014 that she sees or she's told that it's in a Reebok commercial by her daughter. Actually, mm. of all things, mm-hmm. Bomb Bomb is this Reebok commercial. It's just a girl getting in the shower, and the music is Bomb Bomb. This is a pretty big usage, and mm-hmm. this is the moment where Sister Nancy's like, "I'm tired of being nice. Yeah. I'm tired of reaching out to my old buddy Winston Riley, yeah. the producer who screwed me over, never yeah. paid me. I'm tired of hearing about it being in Belly. It comes. There comes a point where it's just I got to get my money. Mm-hmm. So she. She does end up hiring a lawyer, and she does end up getting some re- some compensation. Now it's thirty two years of being unpaid. Uh-huh. They're not able to give her all thirty two years. It's not retroactive. It's retroactive by ten years, which is not nothing. That's not nothing. And significantly, it's fifty fifty moving it, forward. As long as it's got that shoe money. <laughs> as long the as you got that money. shoe money, yeah, and, and significantly, Reebok is the big thing. Yeah. Reebok's the big thing, and significantly, this is twenty fourteen, which means when the Jay Z and Kanye and yes. Beyonce use has come into play, she is paid on day one oh, from that's that fantastic. stuff. And so I, it makes it a happy. And I heard that she was actually happy with what. Kanye and Jay. Yeah. And Jay actually went to go visit her. She's in the video. She's That's in the bomb video. So yeah. cool. She's talking in the video. It's a, it is a happy ending. So if you look at the credits now to this day, uh, it, Sister Nancy is now 50%. Winston Riley, who, relevant to this story, is no longer alive and was shot in the head dead. Like, this what? is a, not a person making friends. Oh my gosh, we yeah. have a true crime podcast now. <laughs> We're where the money's at. But he's 50% of the, the money and she's 50% of the money. And this is both publishing and masters. So there's some justice. Just the tag on the whole like credits and publishing thing is that in all of this, nobody who is on the Stalag 17 rhythm is getting any money from Bomb Bomb. So the good news is still kind of 50-50 good news. Winston Riley technically probably should never have gotten any of this money because all he did was book the studio that day. The musicians mm. got robbed. Mm-hmm. They haven't gotten theirs to this day. At least Sister Nancy's on there. That is good news. Yeah. The horns, we have no idea. Toots, the maybe, Maytals. Maybe somebody is going to come to us. You can DM us yeah. or come who to are the these comments. horns? If you, if you know the answer, yeah. who played the horns on Stalag we 17. We're all ears. We will do the digging and we will do an update on future episodes. Toots is not getting paid on this song. Yellow Man's not getting paid on this song. So it's interesting to think about it's interesting to think about all the participants in the I'm creative sorry, process. Toots, toots, toots strung together those the He's not participating man, in any of, bomb, of this. Bomb, I'm, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well So it really it's a story of power. It's a story of like contracts and it's a story about how much leverage you have. You how convoluted yeah. You know, honestly, when people come to me and they're like, I want to be a musician, I'm like, you really want to do that to yourself? Because I feel like unless you have a really good lawyer, it is really hard to get paid uh, from music. I think it's easy to get paid from your live gigs and selling some merch. But as far as seeing like money, I think the heyday of that was like the 90s. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) When there was like the diamond status. Yeah, the Backstreet Boys kind of stuff. If you were in the Backstreet Boys in the the 90s, that was a good time. You're You're doing all right. We're not worried about you. Luxury, um, you you know so much about this topic. Thank you for bringing us on this journey. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about Sister Nancy's Bomb Bomb and its legacy? 
I mean, to me, it's one of my favorite songs of all time, just mm-hmm. as a song. And all of the other stuff we're talking about and the mysteries and the rhythms and the sampling, all this stuff that I'm personally passionate about, obviously, musical borrowing and culture, you know, that to me is clearly with my whole interpolation thing. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. And how songs are connected and how creativity is all connected. But just yeah. outside of that whole tale that we w- wove together just now, the song still has a mystery and a power to it yeah. where hearing it, even though I've heard it a million times, this isn't, sometimes we have songs we talk about on, on the episode where we're like, oh, I was a little tired of this one, but now that I've heard it in this way with the stems or the conversation, this is fresh to me again. This is not one of those. This is one that no, is just, this, this song it's got a magic a to it. Power. It's got a magic to it. Again, I came into this song as a DJ and a lover specifically of dancehall. And uh, what, what I can truthfully say is that it's one of those songs that to this day it's hard to find a song to come out of it without clearing the dance floor it sets such a vibe that anytime her voice starts trailing off if you don't have sort of like a peak of the night song to play the vibe goes away and the dance floor separates so whatever magical energy they put into the studio that day at at, at, you know when they were recording with ansel collins yeah um and whatever (laughs) fully you know (laughs) whatever santa davis on drums whatever they put in when um when she went into the studio and recorded her new vocals on it it just works yeah it just works and the fact that you've got you know producers who've been killed and you've got mystery horn man out there i think his (laughs) legacy is not quite finished i think oh, that i agree new generations will continue to discover this song and its influence will only grow and i hope the idea too of how musical borrowing and reuse and transformation and remember the anecdote at the top of the show i talked about how in jamaica specifically the idea of originality like that's pretty extreme to yeah. say actually originality is a thing we've heard before <laughs> i think that's so powerful and i'm really passionate about this as a concept because as a musician myself and a fan of music time and time again i'm aware firsthand that musicianship and originality and creativity is not that something completely didn't exist before and you completely came up with a whole no it's how do you take things that are in the world the 12 notes how do you take the the you know usually there's about four significantly frequently reused chords the one four five maybe the six how do you take commonly used elements and do something different and new that is with your own voice that to me is what originality is how do you take those 12 notes and constantly make things that feel fresh yes and i feel like you know human beings constantly come up with new ways to make it sound fresh yes we do all right before we go we're going to do one more song that's the part of the show where luxury and i bring a song in that maybe you haven't heard before (laughs) we share that song with each other and with you yeah because we love you luxury you go first what do you got this is kind of a funny one so i mentioned this like famous mystery tape that showed up in my tape deck in college and and no one's ever claimed by the way Uh hopefully some of my old friends are listening tobias egan like you guys who i used to live with ted like was it you whose tape was this because thank you it changed my life this mystery tape with lee scratch pair on it so what i want to play for you is kind of funny there's a song on this tape it's been in my life for so long that it's become part of my body. And recently, <laughs> when I have had insomnia and I can't sleep, I put this song on and I actually kind of, this is the song that puts me to sleep. And yet, it has so much energy. It's one of my favorite Lee Scratch Perry dubs. Okay. And it's called Scratch the Dub Organizer. And if I can't sleep tonight, I will probably put one earbud in, put my head on the pillow and listen to this.
So for all I know, those horns we just heard, that's mm-hmm. Tommy McCook on sax. That might, that might be our horn guy. Yeah, that might be our horn guy. We I don't know. <laughs> I think it's Vin Gordon on, on, trom- on trombone. They're harmonizing uh-huh. there. These could be the same horn guys as on Stalag 17. I DK. I DK. <laughs> You're such a Malin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that uh, I, I struggle with this one because I really want to put people on to a couple of songs, like some of my favorite, you know, dance hall echoey tracks, but I, I was thinking about Legacy. Yeah. So my artist will be Kiki Hitomi. Oh, wow. Um, and this. the song will be Yellow Story. Uh, this song is one of many songs I feel was influenced by the techniques and the sounds of early dance. I hall. can't wait to hear. Check it out. No, it is. Is that distorted or it sounds like that? Damn, that goes hard. <laughs> you know, I'm reminded too, this is so important. We talked about this on Massive Attack. So many of these songs are designed, like if you listen to it on your headphones or something like that, it is meant for the bass to destroy your body. You need to be in a big room with big sound system. Because when that bass kicked in, I was like, I want to hear this in a club now. Like that, that was the response I had immediately when I heard that just now. Yeah, I, you know, it, it would have been very easy for me to come in here with Janet Kay's Silly Games or some of my other favorite, you know, um, late roots reggae, uh, lovers rock and uh, dance hall. But I, but I had to think about legacy. And yeah. so that's why I chose a song that, as far as I know, was not even created in Jamaica and yet clearly influenced by yeah. oh, that's that early Casio. Sound. That, that is that 1985, post-85 digital slang tang. <laughs> which we, did, which we didn't digital. even get into we this time. But we'll, we'll save it for the Don Penn yeah, episode. Raga, yeah. Which is not a term any person says, hey man, can you play some digital raga? <laughs> These terms are only useful. Yeah. I, I want to end with this, the thought, uh, recently the hard times, which is sort of like the onion, but they talk a lot yeah. about sort of like rock and pop music. <laughs> they said that... Uh, <laughs> Um, the the headline is this a remember, satirical this is, article. This is satirical, okay. but the headline was um, subgenre of metal arguing with other subgenre of metal about a third subgenre of metal <laughs> creates a new subgenre <laughs> genre of metal. It says it all. And yes, right. you can really get into the weeds. Yeah. As far as like, is this dancehall? Is this yeah. roots? Is this um, digital raga or reggaeton or reggae? At the end of the day, we're only dancing about architecture, and we really just sometimes just need to sit back and enjoy the music. I, think I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. We want to thank everybody who's been sending in songs. We're only trying to find a place in the show to play some of the yeah. wonderful songs that you guys are sending our way. And as always, if you have an idea or a song for one more song, you can find us on Instagram, on TikTok. On Instagram, I'm at Diallo. And and, and on TikTok, I'm at Diallo Riddle. Because one dude beat me to at Diallo on what? TikTok. I'm at Diallo dude. Riddle. Shout out to I will dude. make him pay eventually. <laughs> and I'm at Luxury, L-U-X-X-U-R-Y on Instagram. And at Luxury XX. That's luxury XX. It's, 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 it's a complicated thing. <laughs> See, I got screwed too. It's always my TikTok, two X's. On TikTok, some guy took my luxury. It's the that's same insane. thing. Right. It's insane. I'm sorry I did that to you. Okay, that's one more song, and that's the end of our show. Luxury, help me in this thing. Well, I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter, Luxury. <laughs> and I'm actor, writer, and sometimes sound clash DJ, Diallo Riddle. And you got one more chance. You don't want to say an Irie or, or a Ja or anything like that? No? <laughs> no. No Iries, no Jaws. Well, no, this has been I, one I, I song, like and we will see you next time. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Ciao, Bella. Ciao, Bella.
This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Charles Childers, Alicia Shimada, and Jordan Colling. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, Eric Weil, and Leslie Guam. Hey, this is Justin Richmond, host of the Broken Record Podcast. Join me along with co-host Leah Rose as we sit down with the artists you love to get unparalleled creative insight. You'll hear revealing interviews with some of the most legendary figures in music like Paul Simon, Usher, Pete Townsend, Damon Albarn of the Gorillas, and Missy Elliott. And you'll hear from up-and-comers like jazz artist Leve, who told me about her fast rise to fame during the pandemic. Listen to Broken Record on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.